is Stevie Rochelle from Top and Metal Sludge. Hey everybody, this is Pat Torpy from Mr. Big. This is Glenn Hughes, the voice of rock. What's up? This is Dave Rude from Tesla. And you're listening to Music Mania. Music Mania. You are locked and loaded on the Music Mania podcast. Thank you so much, man. I, I love talking about the things that I love, Clint. And for you to allow me to do it with you, uh, I am the Music Mania Podcaster. You the best! You got the best! We roll tonight to the guitar fight. And for those about to rock, I salute you. You ready for some screaming heavy metal? Scream for me, You are now listening to the Music Mania Podcast, brought to you by CD Warehouse in Gladstone, the number one hard rock podcast in the Midwest, featuring hard-hitting interviews with rock's living legends. And now, here's your host, Clint Schweitzer. So glad to be joining you here on our post-Memorial Day weekend podcast. It is Music Mania. We are so glad to have you on board. And as many of you know, I'm a native Missourian, and I've been reading texts and tweets all week. Hey, were you down at the Lake of the Ozarks? Were you part of the cesspool that's sending COVID-19 back out into the world? You're going to cause a second wave? Millions will die? Well, no, I was not at Lake of the Ozarks. I'll tell you this. You know, of course, I live in Kansas City, which is about uh, three and a half three hours away or so from Lake of the Ozarks. I was down at Truman Lake, which is a, a far, far more subtle way to spend a weekend, you know, uh, maybe more for, uh, for families and, and people my age. I'm, you know, I'm 36. So I'm not necessarily the, uh, the, in the age demographic for the party cove, um, Ozarks types. I'd love to go down to Lake of the Ozarks when I can, but I was not there and I did see a lot of the, the photos and the videos seemed like a crazy time. I'm all for people doing whatever they see fit. If you want to stay home, stay home. If you want to go out, go out. I'm really not a proponent of people's freedoms ending where others fear begins, but I'm also not about infringing on others as well. There's a delicate balance there. I'm probably more of a fence sitter than anything. So you'll never get me going on uh, very many political topics, but regardless, we trudge along here on the music mania podcast and another week and another tremendous guest going to be catching up with one of the great bass players in rock history. Billy Sheehan is going to be joining us This interview is one of destiny, I feel like, because we, of course, had Eric Martin, the singer from Mr. Big, on uh, last month sometime, and it's been cool since then. Like, we've texted back and forth quite a bit, and just, he's such a super cool guy, and I've got to have him back on, trying to get him to co-host an episode here on the Music Mania podcast. We're going to have to make that happen, but I mentioned to him that I'd never had Billy Sheehan on the show. Um, I told him that we had done an interview with Pat Torpy back on the band's um, 2017 tour uh, when they had done the album Defying Gravity. They did a U.S. tour that summer, and I was able to meet Pat Torpy, the great Pat Torpy, on the tour bus and did an interview with him there. You can hear that interview in our archives, and this would have been just uh, you know a few months before Pat passed away tragically. So we, of course, talked with Eric a lot about that, and we're going to be doing the same with Billy. What is the future of Mr. Big, if any at all? Is there a chance for a proper farewell tour? I know it's really a difficult situation when you have a brother and a bandmate like Pat that was so important to them and they were so instrumental in keeping him positive and motivated as he was battling Parkinson's disease and uh, he succumbed to his battle 
um, with that back in uh, February of 2018. So we're going to be talking some Mr. Big, certainly Sons of Apollo, uh, just a tremendous band and they've released um their latest album 2020 we're going to talk to him about the unbelievable beginning to the year 2020 the album 2020 and then all this happens and sons of apollo had a lot of tour dates postponed by this and we're going to talk to billy how it affects you know all of them and all the bands and and, and kind of the intricacies of the business aspect and what they've had to deal with and we're going to get into all that and much more but sons of apollo is absolutely tremendous we've had jeff scott soto on the show before of course bumblefoot on guitars um derek sheeranen the great mike portnoy on drums 2020 is a wonderful and suitable follow-up to their 2017 release psychotic symphony so billy sheehan what more can be said one of the great bass players in history. He won the best rock bass player readers poll from guitar player magazine five times for his lead bass playing style. His repertoire includes the use of cording, two handed tapping, right hand, three finger picking technique and controlled feedback guys. Technically speaking, there's probably none better in rock, and he's been recognized as such over the years. Of course, a lot of people uh, really uh, have a lot of reverence for his time in David Lee Roth's band, the Eat em and Smile lineup, Greg Bissonette, Steve Vai, and we're going to talk to him about a couple times that that group has gotten together over the last few years. An incident in 2015, which included Roth himself, where uh, the fire marshals had to be called and they did not allow them to play at this impromptu show. And then they were able to get back together in 2019 without Roth and uh, played, um, I believe, at, at a show at NAMM. So a lot to get into. So many other guests coming up on this podcast. We have just been loading them up. We're backloaded with interviews. It's tremendous. So for that, definitely very thankful that um, we've been able to keep these rolling out during this time. And I hope that it's providing a nice little distraction for you guys uh, each and every week. We've got Ron Keel coming up. Uh, I've got Simon Daniels coming up from Autograph and the legendary guitar wizard from Germany, Axel Rudy Pell, all on the horizon. So keep it with us here on the Music Mania podcast. And without further ado, we've got to take you to our interview this week, which is with the legendary Billy Sheehan. Well, I guess, unfortunately, um, I've started every interview like this for the past two months, but what what's the la- what has the last two months been like for you, man? How, how, how's it been going and kind of how have you been affected well, I'm getting a lot of things uh, done on my to-do list around the house, that's for sure. That's good. There's See, there's a positive. This is the most I've been, I haven't, the most amount of time I haven't performed live since 1985. Wow. When I took all the time off to join David Lee Roth and record that record, the better part of it, almost a year that I didn't perform live. So it's just, this is a almost, almost may turn out to be that, that amount or more. Well, you know, the year started off so great, Billy. Um, you guys come out with an album, Sons of Apollo 2020, uh, the Chiefs win Super Bowl 54, and then things start heading downhill. I mean, um, you're trying to wi- ride the wave of momentum from this album, which is tremendous. And, and then this happens. How many shows or thereabouts kind of have has affected you guys so far? I know you had a lot of dates leading up to that, and I'm sure on into the horizon here, and it's just so much uncertainty. Yeah, we had already done a, a small run in America, and then we went to uh, Europe. We did two shows in Germany, and then uh, I think it was Norway and then Sweden. The last show was in Sweden. 
from Sweden, where we're going to go to the Ukraine and the Soviet Union, or sorry, and, and Russia, not the Soviet Union anymore, uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, St. <laughs> Petersburg and Moscow and uh, Kiev and the Ukraine. Uh, but we were watching world events closely, and it looked like there may be a a quarantine on America where they would stop people coming in from Europe, and we would be flying out of um, Frankfurt, which is the main hub for most of Europe. So flights coming out of Frankfurt may not be able to go to the USA. And so we thought, well, if we do get stranded or get into a quarantine, if they quarantine you, they're not going to put you up at the Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> They'll probably be oh. in an army barrack somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> And so we were caught between a rock and a hard place because we wanted to play, but man, it was, uh, what do we do? So plus you can't just cancel a show. And a lot of people, I'm amazed at how few people know anything about how live performances work. You know, we'd be on tour and say, Hey, make a left turn and go over to, to our city. Like, bro, this has to be booked eight months in advance and there's got to be a venue and there's got to be catering and sound and lights and production. You, know, you can't just pull up and do a show. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's, it's amazing. And you can't just cancel a show. There's a lot of repercussions. So we thought, well, what, what can we do? I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of trouble. The, the Fans have already bought tickets. They already bought plane tickets to fly in to see shows. They've already booked hotels to see the show. Uh, the venue is booked. Everybody's booked that day for work. Uh, the band has gotten a deposit from a promoter, usually. Uh, so you can't just pull the plug on a show. It causes so much trouble in so many ways. Uh, so... Uh, at one point, we had to make a, de a decision. The amount of, of trouble we could all personally be in as opposed to canceling a show. So we decided, well, uh, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to pull out. Now, it turns out a lot of other bands were, everybody's waiting for somebody to go first. Because yeah. everybody wanted to cancel, but nobody wanted the liability. So as soon as we canceled, everybody started canceling. And then the promoters found out also that their cities were shutting down any any uh, gathering of people over anywhere from 500 or 200 or 100. They saw these numbers coming at us. So it turns out those shows were canceled no matter what. Even if we would have stayed there, those shows would have been canceled. And so it was good that we did leave because we would have had to pay for a crew, hotels, buses, all that stuff, and have no shows, which meant we would have it would have been a huge financial cost to us. So we were fortuitous in our timing. We got out in time and we got home and that was that. And we thought, well, you know, we can rebook. Let's start rebooking stuff now. And then it got moved back again and again and again and again. until pretty mm. soon we were aware that, man, there's not going to be live shows for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah. and there's not, unfortunately. So hopefully, uh, it, it'll come back soon. I, most of the people I play with and work with were in pretty good shape. You know, nobody's going to lose their house, but that's us. There's a lot of musicians out there that are going to just be destroyed by this because they just have no income and they have house payments to make and kids to feed and all kinds of stuff. So it is really, it's really rough on a lot of uh, players. I'm, I'm, Helped out as many as I can in any way I can, but uh, 
it's going to be tough on a lot of people. And that's just the guys in the band, the crew, the crew guys. Yeah. They're all out of work. The bus drivers, the truck drivers, all the people that work in the venues. So it's, it's, it's really quite a catastrophe. Uh, it really is. And then the, as the dominoes fall, you start thinking about, well, whenever we can do this again, we have to start the process all over and then you're ta- there's risks involved. And now we're putting stuff in the writing and in the contracts about, well, if this gets canceled, now you lose that you lose this deposit or that. I mean, it's just going to be, I have a you know horrible feeling that it's going to be a lot of uncertainty for a really long time. And that's, that, that hurts. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. It hurts everybody uh, uh, in so many ways. I guess the only, that's not even a comfort, but the only thing that's not quite, so upsetting is that we are all getting hurt pretty much equally no matter what line of work you're in to some degree everybody's getting is taking a hit you know so uh and that's horrible but at least we're you know there isn't a group of people that's getting completely destroyed and another group that's prospering so you know <laughs> yeah you're right about that um you guys are prospering though in a way because do you release what i believe is um you know it came out in january and i think you can kind of you can maybe stop the conversation now with sons of apollo 2020 as a as an album of the year candidate of billy this is tremendous a, a unbelievable follow-up to a psychotic symphony to take us through kind of the process of this album. It had been a couple years uh, and you guys come back with this. Talk about kind of how Sons of Apollo started as an entity. Obviously, you'd been with Mike um, and, the, and the winery dogs and you'd done other things with him. But talk about kind of the genesis of Sons of Apollo and how it came about. And now on into your second album here, which is tremendous. Well, I'm glad you like it. And we all were very excited at the response we got from this record right from the start. It was very encouraging, very exciting. Uh we uh and you never know when you put a record out you can love it and find out later nobody else does (laughs) that happens a lot you know or you see another artist and you hear their record and you think man this thing is going to be amazing and it goes nowhere you know it's it's hard to tell there's many many factors not just that a record is good but to all the business that surrounds it and the timing and who else has a record out and what the situation is and it's a lot of things that can affect the success or failure of a record but Right up front, the response was really great. So we were set up for what I thought was going to be a, a very, very successful run. We all did. Uh, the reviews we got and the response we got and then the short uh, tour we did in the USA prior to going to Europe, uh, we were selling out shows all over the place and the response was uh, over the top. So I thought, this is cool. We put a lot of work in on that first tour we hit we hit it hard that was a grueling and tough tour uh i would have crushed lesser men trust me we (laughs) we we, uh we had scheduling and travel arrangements that were cruel (laughs) they were it was tough but we got it we got through it we played and uh so it felt extra good to us. It was kind of a little bit of a payoff for the amount of work and trouble we went through on the very first tour. So uh, we were all excited. And then it all came crashing down, sadly, when the, we had to stop playing. And the show also was really together because we we'd already had the experience of doing a whole tour and a whole record before. So now coming out the second time, we, we knew each other better. We knew how the show should run. We, we, you know, we were, we were geared up and grooved in. And uh, so it made it extra devastating that we had to pull the plug on it. Well, just 
the players, I mean, everybody looks at uh, Sons of Apollo and looks at, uh, at at the lineup of you guys that you guys have, and it's just absolutely tremendous. Um, you've worked with some of the best vocalists. You work with some of the best musicians in the business, and just and talk about that dynamic because you got a guy like Jeff Scott Soto who's just you know so renowned. Uh, Bumblefoot, just a virtuoso. Derek, of course, you played with before, and Mike Portnoy. I mean, these guys. Also tremendous, and just describe the dynamic of what it's like working with this guy. Obviously, there was chemistry there. Obviously, something worked because you came back for a second album. So, uh, what's it like? Well, we all uh, we kind of look at it a little bit differently. We don't, you know, look at each other as you know in in awe because we (laughs) know because we share a dressing room, so we know there's nothing to be awe about. Uh oh, uh, (laughs) and I'm kidding, Uh, but. in fact, uh, you know, we just kind of let, let each other, we, it kind of builds confidence when we look around and we see people around us that we know can do the gig and they can do their thing and people love the thing that they do and it makes everybody feel comfortable and it kind of takes pressure off when each one of us is surrounded by guys that alone could probably, you know, do do pretty darn good in front of an audience without anyone else, you know, so it's, it's good to know. So it's kind of confidence building. And so once we got through that first tour and first record, got into this record, uh, we, we, we felt good. We felt tight. We felt uh, a good, strong bond with each other. And uh, the live shows were uh, so together in our minds that we could start to have fun with them. We didn't sit there and think through every little hard, difficult part. And, and, uh, so Ron and I sometimes we do some wildly complicated double guitar bass harmony thing. We purposely had to look at each other to laugh, or or you know I'd, I'd step on his foot, or you know he'd you know push my bass as a joke, you know, or and because we, we built, built this confidence up, and the confidence comes from doing all the first tour, the first record and tour, and this record, and just seeing the kind of response we're getting from people. So it was it's a blast to play. I always watch Mike closely. I'm I'm all about the drums mostly as a bass player. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get these magic moments where he does a riff and I, I do the same riff, even though we didn't have never done it before, didn't plan it, didn't, I didn't know he was going to do it. He didn't know I was going to do it. And we do this thing that matches up perfectly. And I look at each other like some kind of weird ESP thing just happened. And it happens all night. You know, it's, it's really cool. The bass and drum connection is amazing. Uh, Derek, amazing player, uh, has got all the bases covered. Ron, mind-blowing, and then Jeff on top uh, as a vocalist. I love his voice in this band because it's not a typical kind of a proggy voice. It's got a soul to it and a rhythm to it and a depth to it and real harmonic content and character. So it really does make the songs, to me, it makes them much more than they what they might have been with someone else. Well, Billy, I want to talk a little uh, Mr. Big. After all, it was uh, the incomparable Eric Martin that uh, got this interview underway. I I told him I'd never had you on. And within like a couple hours, you were texting back and forth and setting this up. So uh, love Eric. Great guy. And it's been a couple years, obviously. It's unbelievable. It's been over two years since we lost uh, Pat Torpy. And and obviously what a loss that was. Just just talk to us about Pat, what he was like as a person. I I was there um, in Kansas City. You guys played at Knuckleheads that summer, and uh, I was able to come and do an interview with Pat on your guys' bus, and was so fortunate to be able to meet him and do that interview in person, and and now here we are two years later. Just talk about him as a person. Obviously, we know what a player he was. Yeah, yeah, amazing player, and equally or maybe even more amazing person. He was a wonderful 
husband to his wife and an incredible dad to his kid. And he was my closest friend in music for the last 30 some years that I, we've been together. Uh, Pat and I didn't grow up together, but we grew up in a complete parallel universe. He started in Cleveland. I started in Buffalo. We played the same type of things in the same kind of bands out there slugging it out in the clubs. So we had a lot in common and, uh, he lived close to me there in LA when I, when I lived there, we both, uh, I lived, lived in studio city, Sherman Oaks area. We both did. And, uh, what, just a, just a great guy. And we, uh, we were glad that he was in agreement to continue on with us as long as he could, because I think he realized, and we certainly realized that you got, you got, you got to keep going. You got to, you can't let it win. You know, it's going to be tough. And I remember the last few shows we did together, like going up the stairs to the stage, I'd make sure to always be behind him because he was getting frail and losing his balance a little bit. And I would always be there ready to grab him no matter what, uh, because it, and he was pushing himself hard and I could see that it was tough, getting tougher and tougher for him. So towards the last couple of shows we did, I remember we had a long conversation in the dressing room. And he's saying, I, I don't know if I can do it anymore. And I said, well, the moment you want to pull the plug, you tell us and we'll stop. But uh, we're here for you and we want you to continue on as long as possible because you got to have a reason to get up. And, and he knew because, you know, when you get on stage, you get a special kind of energy. You can't get anywhere else. And he, he was getting it. He get on stage and suddenly he felt better and up off stage, though. It would, you know, it was tough. It was really tough. It's tough for Parkinson's. It just kind of taxes your whole system and your mind and you have the mo the movement and the shaking. It's just so much information going back in your nervous system to your brain that you just get exhausted. And he would just in the dressing room before the show, he would be just out asleep, just trying to catch a catch a few Z's because he was exhausted. And uh, it was tough seeing him uh, kind of withdraw a little bit. We kept engaging him and kept, you know, you know, getting involved with him and talking with him and doing anything we can to make it easier for him. But like I said, we also said the moment you can't do it, Pat, you, you just tell us and we'll, we'll pull the plug. So we did manage to end a whole section of touring. And then he went home and then that's, unfortunately he, uh, when he passed away, I was already out on tour, uh, with sons of Apollo when I heard about it. And, uh, we were all crushed completely. And, uh, so, the world lost uh, a great man and a great player. And uh, we, uh, all of us in Mr. Big, think about him every day. Well, and you guys were able to um, get an album out, Define Gravity. Um, you know, we've had Eric on, and I don't think that he was uh, as pleased with the album as, as he thought it could have been better. What, what was your thoughts on Define Gravity? And, and are you okay basically just kind of leaving... Mr. Big, as it was there, any type of proper farewell tour? I know you talk to Eric, you know, regularly. I mean, is there any chance that a proper farewell tour could happen? Well, I don't know. Uh, there's no reason why myself, Paul, and Eric couldn't go out to get a drummer and go out again, or just go out on our own. But I don't know if the if I, I don't know what uh, Paul thinks, and I don't know what Eric thinks about it. I I uh, I'm I'm open to going out and taking care of the fans as best we can because they really put their heart and souls into this band and we'd love to go see them again. Uh, as far as the record goes, we, we, we fell into a trap again with a label 
had to have the record by a certain day. And that has ruined so many records. And if the label would just realize the record isn't ready to go yet, you've got to give us more time. Instead, they insist on having it and putting it out when it's not ready because we had a problem with mastering. We took it to a mastering place. I was there for the final mixes and they were killer. The mastering came back and what in the world happened? Hmm. It was unlistenable. And so they tried to do like a second mastering and that didn't quite work, but then they had to ship it off. And I thought that they, the, the, the label ruined the record because they insisted on having it. If we had another day to get into the proper mastering and get it done right. It would have been fine because I was there for the final mixes. We went on every day and listened to the mixes. Pat was there with us too. And we, we, we went through the mixes and uh, they were sounding great. And unfortunately we got screwed and, uh, it's a, it's, I've seen it before in many, a situ, in many other situations with many other bands. You know, we got, this, we got the marketing department and they're ready to go when they got to have their record now. And then I've also seen other bands just say, no, record's not done. You're out of luck. And I wish we would have just said that because I, I just don't think the, the record had the kind of life it had when I heard it in the final mixes. I thought there were some great songs on the record. I thought, um, yeah. Be Kind was a great piece of music. I thought that could be kind of a hit anywhere, too. It was really, really great. And uh, some, some good stuff on there. Some stuff I didn't really like. I thought the title track, Defying Dra- Gravity, didn't do much for me. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked that as a title track. It was uh, that little oddball time signature thing didn't work for me as a regular straight-up rock song. It, uh, you know... So you know, it was not certainly not my favorite Mr. Big record, but I think if we would have wouldn't have gotten screwed on the mastering, it would have been a lot better. We had to defend it. A couple people were were commented right away. Oh man, this record sounds horrible. And I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? Agree with them? You know, I got to got to defend it. You know, and stick up with them and stick up for the record. But I, you know, in our hearts, we knew that didn't sound like I knew it didn't sound like the final mixes I had. The producer Kevin was heartbroken. Because he, you know, he, he, he had, you know, he couldn't, we couldn't get the label to give us more time to get it mastered properly. So there, there went that record. Well, you also, then you had the live album, Live in Milan, which at least you have that final tour kind of captured. But was that, was that just another obligation to the record label as well? Or, or what, what was up with that? I'm not sure, but I know that, uh, when we've done live records, we usually done them in a situation where we had a lot more control over what was going on. And, uh, in this case, we just didn't. And, uh, there were missteps there too. I just don't think the record was a representation of what the band was doing. And I'm not sure if the band was really firing on all eight cylinders at that point either, because we were, our heads were spinning with the situation at hand. So, uh, if I had it to do, go, do over again, I probably would have skipped doing that record. But, you know, there, it has its moments. It has some, some good stuff. But it was, uh, we, our, our heads were spinning. At that point, we're on tour. And we don't know what's going to happen with our drummer. And, man, it was, uh, it was tough. Well, I know it's been, this has probably been a year and a half ago or so. I think you and, and Steve Vai and, and Greg Bissonette got together. I think it was an ultimate NAM night you guys did back in January of 19. Uh, the Edom, uh, David Lee Roth, the Edom and Smile Band got back together. Was this the night or was this a separate incident? Because I remember hearing about this where there was like, you 
as we're going to play and there was like a fire marshal and there was uh, you like the fire marshals cut it off was this was that the same night or was this a separate occasion separate occasion okay not related in any way not re- not related so the, the first one the, the fire marshal one david lee roth was was there yeah we were ready to go on yeah stage. A that's right curtain curtain across the stage me and steve are on there greg is at the yeah. top brett tuggle is there dave's on the side of the stage ready to come up and i saw the uh something out of the corner of my eye with some flashlights and the club normally would hold and it's free to get in uh, it's free to get in uh, so the club isn't making money at the door. So I don't know why they decided to let so many people in because legally, I think the place held like 475 or 500 people. They'd let them get away with maybe 550 or 600 on a good night, but they had almost 1200 people in there. If there would have been a problem, somebody would have died. So the fire, the fire, I guess, I don't know how they find out about it, but, uh, Somebody must have called it in or somebody observed that there was maybe a competing club or something like that. They watch each other and report each other. Who knows how it happens? I don't know. But the fire department came in and said, shut it down. Everybody out. And uh, so some guy got on the mic and tried to go, good evening, volunteers to leave. Nope. Nobody's leaving. We're standing right (laughs) here. That that shit ain't going to work. And uh, so uh, I played a couple bass notes hoping the crowd would like maybe cheer because we're behind a curtain still kind of cheer and uh, the fire department would say, Oh, let's let them play. And one of the fire guys looked behind the curtain and said, one more note out of anybody and you go to jail. I said, okay, I unplugged and left, but, but we got to hang the original band backstage, hanging out just to telling stories, me, Steve, Greg, Brett, and, and Dave. And we had a great time hanging out. Uh, And he, you know, he he would have done the one in January, but he's had a commitment elsewhere in New York and couldn't make it. So, unfortunately, we couldn't do it. So that, there's something about the re- there's such reverence for that lineup, and it's just crazy. After all these years, you keep hearing, well, David Lee Roth, eat him and smile, eat him and smile. I mean, obviously, Steve, yourself. I mean, it's, it's amazing players. When you look back on that time, and where where were you at musically when you joined David Lee Roth? This is pre Mister Big. You joined this, you know, David Lee Roth, Lee's Van Halen. What, where were you at sort of in your career where, and, and kind of what led you to that band? Well, Talus uh, was my band from Buffalo. We had just gotten yeah. a, lot, a lot of breaks. We got signed by the William Morris Agency. We got signed by Gold Mountain Records. And we also got, we're opening up for Ingve on his first tour, double kind of a headliner thing. And it was going great. And crowds, places were sold out. And we were playing our asses off and we were playing, you know, really pushing ourselves. So my hands were in amazing shape. I was on the top of my game. Everything was cool. Then I got asked to join with Dave and I said, I'd never leave my band Talos unless Van Halen asked me to join. And so when Dave asked me, I said, well, close enough. I'm going to go. And so I, I, I went and did it. So I, uh, already had gotten up to a point of, uh, you know, a lot of national press and things breaking for me and doing well and touring across the country. And uh, so we were, I was in pretty good shape. So when Dave uh, called me to, to, to go and play with him, uh, it was, uh, we were, we were in a good state. I was in a good state of mind and a good state of playing and ready to go. And uh, that, that band launched uh, like a lightning bolt and uh, 
it was uh, it was a beautiful thing. Absolutely. I tell you what, Billy, but before we let you go, we got to finish with our, our uh, final four drum roll, which is final uh, four quick questions. And you kind of just rapid fire. Give us whatever comes to mind. Ready to go. If you're ready. Absolutely. Um, what have, if at all, what shows or show have you uh, been able to binge watch uh, during the pandemic? Oh, I watched the uh, Tiger King. I had to do it. You did. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yet. So I, I, I guess I'll, I'll use you as my final example. If you, if you give me the go ahead, I guess I'll go ahead and do it. So should, oh, it, should it really it? is a, it's a, <laughs> it's a complete train wreck. It's amazing. Perfect. I'm in. Um, what is the first album you remember purchasing with your own money? I think it was having a rave up with the Yardbirds. Ooh. One of the first Yardbirds records. That is, that's a, that is a great one. Um, favorite, favorite Mr. Big song to perform live. Uh, I might say the daddy, brother, lover, little boy yeah. has always been a favorite of mine with the drills. What is, um, the last show that you either attended as a, as a fan or played in before all this happened? I'm guessing it would have been a, obviously a sons of Apollo show, but do you, what was there a show you went to as, as a fan before this that you can remember? Let's see. Well, I got, I went to see the Zach Brown band and he had me come up on stage and play with them. Wow, that's awesome. What 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 happened there? That sounds amazing. They played a sold-out Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville, and their percussion player is a friend of mine. So I said, come on down, bring your bass, and we'll play. Uh, Zach will invite you up, and we'll play Whipping Post. And I, Zach Brown was incredibly generous and kind, and he gave me a wonderful introduction, brought me up on stage, and I played Whipping Post with the Zach Brown band. It was pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Billy, man, thanks so much for, for taking the time and doing this with us, my friend. Uh, best my of luck. Well, definitely. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a, a true honor as, as someone that's uh, followed your Very work for so many you. years. Very kind of you. Well, when you have a link to it in any capacity, just uh, e text it to me and I'll post it so you get lots of clicks. Oh, that's what it's all about. I'm trying to find the, the blabbermouth uh, head clickbait headline out of this right now. We'll see. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding, of course. <laughs> hey, man, Great. thank you so much. We'll catch up again. All See right, we'll talk friend. again soon. Have Thanks a good a one. Stay safe. All right, take care. Well, big thanks to Billy Sheehan for joining us this week and for Eric Martin for getting it set up. The next thing I know, Eric Martin is uh, sending Billy Sheehan my number and saying, hey, hit this guy up. He wants to have you on the show. And within a couple of weeks, we've made it work. And, and Billy was really so generous with his time to talk about everything, all the inner workings of what's going on with Sons of Apollo. We sure hope that we can get things back to some level of normalcy at some point because their new album 2020 demands, you know, it deserves to be played live in a live setting. So Sons of Apollo have been quite the touring entity since their inception in 2017. We hope for more for them. We hope you guys are maintaining a lot of positive morale during this time. Hey, Memorial Weekend's in the books. We are off and running into the summer months here. So, things are reopening. If it's your will, if it's what you want to do, get out and enjoy it. It's great weather all over the country. If you want to go to the lake, get out there with your friends, have some fun. I know we're not going to have any live music this summer. In fact, I believe Motley Crue, Def Leppard, the stadium tour is the only tour thus far to not completely postpone or cancel for the summer. That announcement should be coming within a few days and we'll see exactly how it's worded or what the uh, exact situation will be. But with that said, your money stays and plays with us right here on the Music Mania podcast. So many great interviews coming up. We have got you locked and loaded right here. So keep it with us all summer long right here on the Music Mania podcast.